Bill's a fair chase. Yeah, just start. This, this is probably the one that gets argued about the most, and I'll just read it. Simply defined, fair chase is the ethical, sportsmanlike, and lawful pursuit of free-range wild game animals in a manner which does not give the hunter an improper or unfair advantage over the animal. That is, would you not? That's probably yep. the most argument. Here, how I will say this non. Brian Dickish. It's like <laughs> how because I see it. I'm this not just this not just right, young. Right. This is also Boone. Here's how it, who is up on their high horse determining what is fair and what's not. Yeah, fair. Be, because I want to preface with this. There's a dude in Texas, or there's a dude sitting in a fucking blind. He's got an Ozonix behind him. He's got uh, he's been bathed in scent killer, has scent killer clothes, and sprayed himself with scent killer. He's got a bow that costs two thousand dollars with a slider slight that goes to one fifty. What are your what's your guys' stance on that? That seems very very unfucking fair to the animal. Welcome to the Shoot Hunt Podcast. As always, I'm your host Ryan Avery. Ryan Avery. And my color commentator today is Jake Mushady. <laughs> are you ready? I've been ready since 9 a.m. Sir. How fat is your ass today? I knew that was coming, and, I, and I, I'm embarrassed. You know, because you, you never want to say it can never happen. I mean, you know, the chances of getting violently murdered by a bunny are low, <laughs> but, but never zero. We're bringing up some straight bullshit. Dude, if it ain't hunting clothes, my wife buys it for me. But your, your wife bought that color for you? I just said, give me some Crocs. She's just so way gay. too comfortable with your gayness then. Gosh, I got a really long tongue. <laughs> <She's good. laughs> we fucking good lord. I never, I never asked you. Is your, can you hear pretty well in there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. You? I bought me some fucking Vans Croc knockoffs. What? But they don't hit my funny bone shit on my foot. They just kind of drop below the funny bone part, but they're little legit vans, like rubberized, slip in, real type of shoes. So they're not really, I guess, knockoffs if they're vans. Yeah, it's not a knockoff, but they're not fucking teal. That's for sure. They get offered in black and OD green. That's <laughs> why Crocs are already gay because all the fucking colors they put out there for men. Well, you know, if you're strong in your sexuality, nothing's really gay, right? Shoes will make you gay. What, Justin? What do you think about that? Uh, yeah. I, uh, I'm a big fan of my camo Crocs. Oh, fuck. Camo have, fucking, but are they got, teal we, camo? We, no, they're like legit camo they're, colors, yeah, right? Waterfowl camo, yeah. So it's like if you were presented with four different types of Crocs, this was one of them. Then there was some teal. Then there was some like some fuchsia with some blue. And then standard fucking color multicam. You're going to gravitate towards the standard color. For reference, for reference. I don't buy my clothing. We've been over this. Unless that's what we just clothes. heard. On the, that's why I brought it Number up. Number two is, do you think teal as a whole is a gay color? Yes. Then why would you make your <clears> box in teal? That's not teal. That's blue. That's fucking teal. We're going to pull up teal. what color would you teal. say that is? So those are my Crocs right there, Justin. You can see on the screen. Okay, that's teal. That's teal. That's not teal. Oh, Go fucking that, put them next to each other. That's freaking close. No. Yeah, that, that's close. I do have to say I, uh, I See, asked, like that one's blue. Hey, let the man talk. He had a point. That <laughs> sounded yes. like a smart point. That that's one's blue. <laughs> let's let's somebody that's finally going to defend Ryan's Crocs. Here we go. No, here, here we go. I am going to defend Ryan's Crocs. So in a in a duck hunting situation in the lodge, everybody's got the same Crocs, and so this dude had the crazy colored ones because at the end of the season, his Crocs were always gone. Yeah. And so he went with the crazy colored ones, and so there's a reason. Don't call it crazy color. Just say gay. <laughs> it's okay. 
I don't just have one pair of gay, you know. I know. Gay. I have probably 30 pairs of Crocs. Gayness is expansive. And my wife just, like, my wife's a big Disney fan. It, it, she was Disney before it was gay, so you can't. Don't I don't want to hear your bullshit on that from the from the listeners. They're, they they're breaking it up and selling it now. It ain't even gonna be nothing. Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, not doing well. Anyways, yeah. she buys me like Crocs, like Halloween Crocs. So it's just a running joke that I wear gay shoes. But the truth is, is if I'm manly enough to wear them, I think it's them that pointed out that may be uh, weak in their position. I just read something that said they just lost like a billion dollars like in the last twelve months or something. Something uh. crazy. They're like their whole video, you know, their whole movie series part because they're going woke, so they're going broke, has definitely fell off. But at one time, I didn't know this, but they owned the Angels at one time. No shit. Yeah. Huh. Gene Autry owned the Angels first. Yeah. I didn't, did you guys know that? Didn't know it. Yeah. And then they Disney owned it. Huh. Yeah. Totally. We're totally off topic as usual. Yeah. Today on the show, we have Justin Springs. I put his last name in there just for Jake. Springs. Spring. Is it spring or spring? Spring. spring. Justin Spring. Yep. From the Pope, Pope and Young Foundation, is it called? Just Found? Pope and Young Club. Just Pope and Young Club. Yep. Okay. Got to get that right. Um, I've never had. I have a few animals that could be in Pope and Young. I've actually never put them in there. I have read the book uh, on Pope and Young. It's very interesting. Okay. Like the origin story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they are, uh, Pope and Young is is properly named, in my opinion. Yep. They, they you guys did your due diligence on that. Can you give us a background on the organization, like from quick synopsis from start to where they are today? Okay, so um, the very beginning of Pope and Young, they were trying to legitimize archery as a um, successful method of take. And so this is in the 50s and the 60s. There was a National Field Archery Association that was keeping unofficial records, but they wanted to show game agencies that archery was a valid methodology of harvest. And so they, they approached Boone and Crockett and said, hey, can we use your scoring system? And that, that was kind of the beginning of getting archery um, kind of mainstream. And from then, our, our current missions preserve, promote, protect. So anything we can do to promote archery, to... To ensure its history, to ensure its place, that's that's what we spend our time doing now. Back then, who was who was the other side of that coin? You know, from the I imagine the rifle perspective, not legitimizing archery as a. I don't think. I mean, at the time, you know, we we uh, we didn't have the numbers of hunters we do now, but um, the big question was whether or not it was was ethical. Like, can you actually take a deer with a bow? <clears throat> and it wasn't this animosity that, you know, we've somehow got in this industry where this hunting doesn't like this hunting doesn't like this hunting. It was, no, this this can't kill an animal. And they wanted to prove that, indeed, archery okay. was a valid technique. And so that's why they did what they did. Was it mostly stick bow in the 50s as opposed to the compound bows oh, that yeah. we generally use today? Was compound bow a thing back then? No, it was, it was not. It was, okay. you know, recurve, long bow. Yeah, well, that um, makes sense then looking at it just from a recurve perspective, you know, yeah. if a rifle guy's looking at you like what what are you going to kill with that you right. know kind of thing right it seems odd to think about it because it killed so many humans why wouldn't it kill an animal yeah, exactly yeah yeah that's yeah. where my question comes up is, is why do why do archers why do archery hunters find themselves superior <laughs> right to off, rifle hunters right off the bat right off the fucking bat because here we are right because right in 1950 uh, as you're explaining it basically rifle hunters saw themselves as superior to recurve bow hunting right and then pope and young had to come along to legitimize it and give mm -hmm. archers a voice so being part of Pope and Young, why, why do to, why today, 
why do archery hunters think themselves superior like a I guess a more close to the caveman way, the Indian way, whatever you want to say, like they're they're more closer to the roots of hunting and it's more passion and I don't know. You know, I, I think any time in hunting, there's always competition. And so what do you do a little bit different that, that's not what other people do? You know, um, I, I would say you could probably say the same thing about muzzleloader hunters. You could say the same thing, you know, crossbows versus vertical bows. There's always that, that you know, that competitiveness edge there. Um, you know, my, my go-to and and I always said, you know, when I worked for BNC for 15 years, the bow hunters would always give me a hard time. Why didn't you shoot it with the bow? I was like, well, mm-hmm. there's no rule that says I have to shoot it with a rifle. <laughs> that's the fucking, you know, that's, the, that's what range. I'm talking about, yeah. though, the superiority. Yeah. Anytime yeah. a rifle hunter hears from an archery guy, it's always, yeah. oh, well, you know, you can shoot anything with a rifle from 500 yards. Yeah. Try getting in close to 15 and kill it with a bow, you know. See, I've, I've killed three moose, all three species with a rifle, but all of them were taken in bow range. And so that was always my example of like, well, I can get close and have that same experience with a rifle. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, all of us as hunters, no matter what you do, you gotta you gotta remember. Yeah, we can we can poke fun at each other, but when it gets serious, you know that's not good for anybody. We're just gonna fucking continue down this road. So here's one more question. <laughs> Since we're talking, so we're we're basically pinning archers against rifle at this point, yeah, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and you've been on both sides of yeah. it from the from the scoring I'm still perspective. On both sides, yeah. So uh, this is a question from one of the team members out in the shop here. Uh, basically, I went around this morning and I polled all of our employees here at Unknown Munitions at Shoot Done. I said, what do you know about Pope and Young and what might you want to ask them? Uh, this is from Keaton. Keaton says, and this is to you, this is your opinion, Justin. Okay. Who do you think takes more unethical shots, bow hunters or rifle hunters today? I would say that's a hard one to pin down because a rifle gives you a larger margin of error. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, as I could say, apples to apples, the number of shots being taken by a rifle hunter or an archery hunter is, is higher or lower. I think you probably have less bad outcomes from rifle just because it gives you, I mean, you've, you've got a fairly large margin of error with a bullet compared to a bow. If you miss by just a little bit, a bullet can rip through a shoulder blade. Mm-hmm. I mean, an arrow can deflect it. it I would, um, again, I might be biased. I would have to say most, I, I think rifle hunters probably, because they have, they, they know it can break a shoulder. They know that they can break through those ribs. They can come. If they know. know it can happen, is it considered unethical? That's a personal choice. You know, we'll get, we'll get into that as we talk about fair chase. There's, mm-hmm. there's a bare minimum. No, no, you can't use a howitzer to shoot a deer. That's not fair chase. Right. But you know, as a hunter, you have to make that decision at some point of what is ethical and what isn't. I guarantee the three of us sitting here all have a different definition. If we talk about trail cameras or shot distance or whatever it is, we're all going to have a different level. But what I ask is everybody kind of really reflect and, you know, think, okay, am I okay with this? Can I defend this? And that's what fair chase really is. It's not a black and white. (laughs) It's a, it's a thought process of, you know, am I being fair to the animal and is, is the animal have a fair chase to escape? And am I proud of what I'm doing? Mm. How do you feel about your shot? Yeah. 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 And you got, in my opinion, cause I've been on both sides of the archery. I hunted with a st- only with a stick bow for six years. I with a compound for a few. I would, and this isn't a, this is my opinion, but man, I could, we could go to any 3d course and back it up. Most stick bow hunters, are very very inefficient, yeah, and they shouldn't be taking ninety percent of the shots that they take. Mm-hmm. 
because you can go on a 3D course with them, you know, and they got, you have a different steak. You have the compound steak, you have the female steak sometimes, and you have the stick bow steak. And it's a lot closer for a reason. But I have witnessed multiple, not only other people, myself. I literally shot an elk. I had six arrows. I had to pull an arrow out of the elk's butt to kill it mm. because I took a shitty shot with a mm. stick bow. And I know lots of people that should never even be able to. Should, there should be a test almost. And people say, oh, we don't need any more laws. But there should almost be a fucking test before you go stick bow hunting to no. see how proficient you are. Because then that's that, that's just your best. Add a little bit of stress into it mm-hmm. and you're going to go way downhill. Yeah. And it is a very ineffective weapon for most people and people like to hear that but compounds man this day and age we talk about the fair chase shit compounds are getting to where 140 150 yard shots are doable in a little so okay i got that question on here too there are practice bow hunters shooting 90 pound draw with 500 grain arrows killing animals out to 100 yards how does fair chase apply to that you know (laughs) Even at a 90-pound draw, a 500-grain arrow, if you hit and you hit well, yeah, it's going to break stuff and get in there. But that arrow flight time, from the time it leaves the bow until it strikes the animal, when you start getting to those distances, uh, there's some stuff there that can happen that's completely so out what, of like your control. So, like, 300 feet per second? What is it? Is it about 300 feet per second? They broke that's it. probably – I mean, you can shoot faster than that, but realistically, 290s would be would be probably your average hunting bow. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, you see, you know, you see the IBO speeds on a bow, and yeah, they can get scraped. But again, that's not a hunting setup. That's a, yeah. you know, and they somebody broke it down, and I don't remember the exact yard, but it's pretty close to ten yards, twenty yards is like a hundred yard, two hundred yard, eighty yards is like an eight hundred yard shot. Oh, really? So they broke it down like that. So okay. you're thinking a hundred and forty yard shot is like a fourteen hundred yard shot. Wow. There was a little bit of fluff in there. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was yeah. close to that. Have you seen anything like that before? No, uh, not that exact one, but. Well, yeah. I would ask like how, how fast is an arrow slowing down, right? Because we kind of we can run ballistics on our on our bullet and right. see what our muzzle velo- or what our what our velocity is at any yardage once it leaves the muzzle. Right. I imagine there's something similar you can do with arrows, but I imagine how fast the, how fast is that arrow going when it hits at 100 yards? Let alone the flight time, movement of the potential movement of the animal. Um, yeah, and you also got to realize, you know, when a, when a bullet's impacting, that's that's kinetic energy, right? That's that's transferred into the animal to kill it. An arrow is slicing, and so you don't need to hit, you know, eight hundred foot pounds or a thousand foot pounds or whatever whatever you personally think that the necessary foot pounds of a bullet to hit is doesn't really translate to a bow. If you've got a super sharp arrow that doesn't hit anything and it can go in and cut you know, artery and, and, and veins to create that mass blood mm. loss. So it, it's not a it's a, not a direct comparison. We look at it less from the energy yeah. of the bullet and more about the, the actual velocity of the bullet to promote proper expansion at whatever right. distance you're shooting. Right. Like for example, we form will tell you 1,800 feet per second for proper expansion of the bullet. So you should run your ballistics and wherever you hit that 1800 feet per second muzzle velocity that should be your furthest distance you shoot right that bullet out yep. of that rifle yep yeah interesting on the uh, fair chase side of that question i guess is there is i guess to go back before that has boone and crockett and popadung do they talk are they like friendly to each other yeah so we um each has their own separate records committee but at the same time, for example, the scoring manual, it is the same scoring system. So Pope and Young is using BNC's system. Um, there is some differences on the minimum scores. For example, on an antelope, 
you know, Pope and Young has a slight different rule because the lower minimum, you can see a very high pronged antelope. When you get to a Boone and Crockett size, it doesn't matter. So there's a couple very small differences like that, that unless you're a measure, it's not really going to affect a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But other than that, everything we do is, is fairly in, in step because in the, in the whole scheme of things, we want a uniform scoring system. So when this deer scores this or this bear scores this, you don't want it to vary between organizations. That doesn't make any sense. And so every every rule we do is, isn't very involved. And they've got two or three members on our records committee and vice versa. And so, especially on the scoring side, it's very closely tied together. Mm. And then, hey, Luke, real quick, put up um, Pope and Young, their, their fair chase, their fair chase memo. Um, how do you guys look at or how is the SCI scoring system? Do you guys talk? Do you guys have any, you know, uh, no, so SCI is a completely different um, criteria, you know, and, and there's, there's, they've done some absolutely amazing things for hunters. They've got some different skill sets that BNC and Pope and Young can't really bring to the table in terms of uh, legal representation. So SCI is an absolute great group. In terms of the scoring, though, their system looks at different um, characteristics. The example I always use is moose. Uh, the moose category in the BNC system has rewards palmation where SCI measures the length of the tines. So if you look at an SCI score of a moose, it could be 500 inches because the tines are super long. Well, B and C system is trying to, you know, recognize the older, more mature animal. And so in an older moose, you see bigger palms. So it's a different way to look at it. And there's nothing wrong with SCI score. There's no rule that says if you put it in SCI, you can't put it in B and C. I mean, put them in all of them, anything that qualifies for a state book, whatever it may be. You know, it's it's a data set and it's history. Here's a beginner question. What is the bullshit about gross versus net? And why have two different fucking numbers people are looking at? <laughs> that's that, a beginner that's question. The, that's the biggest beef with <clears throat> like with yep. them and the SCI because they Perfect. do it. They, okay, so gross is an SCI and net is a... Pope and Young, for example, or, or opposite? Gross is total inches that the animal grew. And, and it, the topic already came up today. Well, why don't you give him everything for what he grew? You got to remember that this system was started. The idea of harvesting the old, most mature male specimen, this came about when there was no game to be had. And so we really needed to limit what we were harvesting. The populations couldn't handle does, couldn't, I mean, couldn't handle the harvested does, young animals. And so they were looking for the oldest, most mature male specimen that was an indicator of the habitat quality. And so if you look at these deductions, okay, well, that bull should have scored 380, but it broke three times. You can say, well, that's not fair, you know, to deduct those times. Why did it break? You know, what commonly happens is during drought, antlers get brittle overpopulation of bulls too much fighting antlers get brittle so is it perfect no but there is a reason there's deductions and that's why the system for boone and crockett and pope and young ultimately is that net score so pope and young itself has a gross on a net we list the gross on every animal because it's informational what is the difference you, between you, gross and net? you understand that what the, the the typical they're looking for perfect symmetry on both sides right. Okay. That's where it starts. Yeah. I mean, you should yep. explain that better than me. Well, that's yeah. that's a typical versus a non-typical. Yeah, but I mean, they're looking. That's... They deduct you. You should explain yeah, it better so, what they're looking for. So the idea here is the the healthiest, most mature specimens are going to have bi or, um, bilateral symmetry. It's seen throughout, right? So perfect left to right symmetry, good mass, good time length. In theory, and again, you got to remember this system was developed 
Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett adopted their new system in 1950. So before that, it was different. But 1940s is what we're looking at for this the the research that they were looking at to say what is the most mature animal. That they said was was time length, mass, and symmetry were the traits of the most mature and most the healthiest animals. And so that's what the BNC system recognizes. SCI's system is just total inches, and that you know that's that's a useful number. That's why both organizations list a growth score. If I tell you I killed a 175-inch typical that grossed 178, if you know the system, you're like, wow, that's a super symmetrical, great-looking, super clean typical 170s. If I tell you I, I killed a typical that netted 146 but grossed 192, <laughs> oh, man, you got all kinds of junk going on and, and differences and broke times and whatnot. And so it, it is a valid number, but that is, you know, and that's why we list it. But at the end of the day, we're looking at conservation and the long-term um, conservation successes and failures, which is why the net score continues to be what BNC and PNY use. So I'm still trying to understand what is gross versus net. That's the base question, right? Like what is gross versus net? But as I understand it, net is the animal as it's presented and Perfect. gross is the potential of what it could have been. So, the, so anytime you're doing a scoring, you have the left antler and the right antler, and each tine's measured, and the masses are measured. Any differences between those are deducted out. So in essence, a net score, you take the smallest at every measurement and double it gives you your net. The growth, say your, your G2 or your G3 is six inches longer, that six inches would be in the growth score, but not the net, so net score. Oh, <laughs> so 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 technically a gross is the real number the gross is the, the gross is, is the that total correct inches it's it the total inches it grew the gross is the real number. i'm trying to break this down for the retards yep. like myself so gross is the real number net is what's important to pope and young and boone and crockett yes and boone and crockett yep same and then, system and then the question that would add on to that is what pushes it into a non-typical score yeah so for Every animal has a typical and non-typical score. Mm -hmm. um, Pope and Young, again, with the lower minimum scores, have a set number of inches per category that says which one it goes in or not. When you're looking at Boone and Crockett minimums, it doesn't matter. It's up to the hunter. So if you kill a giant typical and you want to put it in the non-typical category, Boone and Crockett will let you do it. Pope and Young says, for example, whitetail 15 inches of abnormals. If it has 15 or more, it has to be scored as a non-typical if it has under 15, it has to go in the typical category. Okay, ne next retarded question. So the <laughs> net the net being what you expect it to be while being symmetrical, what is the net on a categorized non-typical? Is it actually the gross? Nope. So on the non-typical, you still have the left to right deductions. You still have all the same scoring. It's just any abnormal points or points that aren't a typical, you know, point structure added into a non-typical score or they're subtracted from the typical score. So you really want to get messed up here and confused. <laughs> I'm already fucking so there. You have that, you're basically just adding the smallest side times two and anything, yeah. else, anything bigger than that's a deduction yep. on the other side. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, the, the non-typical It's category. very confusing. Dude, I'll yeah. tell you this, dude. If, if, if I had a 10-inch dick but the last four inches pointed right, it's a 10-inch dick. <laughs> I mean... I'm just saying. I mean, why? Why not just add up all the fucking inches and, and and score it what it is? Because they were like he's talking about. Like I, in my mind, I always hate that. I was like, oh, yeah. I like this, but I understand where they started from. Yeah, because I they're trying they, to keep it. Yes, they're trying to shoot the oldest animal possible because yeah. they had no animals. A hundred percent. If the sole purpose was to, you know, get the to rank an animal to a hunter or something like that, we'd use gross score. 
Yeah. But but the mission and the reason that we still keep score today, you know how easy it would have been to just give up on this because it kind of got you know bushwhacked to where everybody's like, oh, mine scored this. It, yeah, it's, that's not at all why it was started. It is a conservation tool. So I can say, you know, um, you, you have somebody make an overarching statement about, oh, because of this, you know, all this is happening. Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young have the data to say, what is the shot distances? Are they getting longer? Are they getting shorter? What, what are the deer doing? I can tell you the, the one of the last years I was at Boone and Crockett, we saw more non-typical whitetail enter than we ever had. And we also saw the least number of typicals come through the door since before the 90s when whitetail really blew up. Why is that? Yeah. This is what, that's why they keep score. It's not to rank a hunter. That was never the idea. And Pope and Young's the same. It's a conservation tool. Yeah, but you're, you're basically trying to influence an animal that a hunter may or may not shoot with those rules is that correct in the interest of conservation you're trying to you're trying to kill the most mature animals and you're trying to base the scoring system to promote a hunter to want to shoot the most mature animal but that's not going to stop today's hunter from shooting almost anything in front of them no but that that's because of the success early on Mm -hmm. like okay at the very beginning yeah I mean, if you read, oh, there's a there's a great story by Dahl DeWeese, and he was up in um, Alaska hunting Tustamina Lake, and he'd killed a moose, and he shoots this other moose, and he's, he's writing for Outdoor Life. This is the 20s or the 30s, and he says, oh, you're all going to call me a game hog because I've killed the second moose in my lifetime. He spends half this article apologizing for killing a moose. It was the world record at the time. So that's how limited game species were. And so because one man took two moose in his lifetime, he had to apologize. Apologize on a national scale for killing the biggest moose ever in the world. Who was that? His name was Dahl DeWeese. He took the shot because it was the biggest one in the world? He, he just he felt horrible when he got back writing the story that he'd killed two moose in a lifetime. And they, and they said, hey, I know you're going to call me a game hog. So you got to remember, this was this was when this whole idea of the oldest, most mature came yeah. about. Was not mm. not today when I drive, you know, drove over from Montana this morning and dodged eight whitetails. No, that's that's not what it was. Yeah. And so you know, people need to remember that that you know, and today it's fine. Our populations are robust. You yeah. can shoot a. I mean, if the state says you can have five doe tags, go shoot those but five the, does. But but this the. Pope and Young's and Boone and Crockett's efforts early on are some of the reasons why mm-hmm. we have the game we have today because of the scoring systems you guys created. Yeah, and, and implementing a fishing game, and, and there's yeah, a whole right. bunch of reasons yeah. and wildlife services. And, yeah. uh, Luke, look up the Gordon Buck. Put it up there, please. That's what it's called, I think. <coughs> oh, is that, that the... The, the yeah, we're I'm liking to, this shit, dude. I, I love a day when I can learn shit like that. Well, I'm we're going to throw another this. caveat because the, I believe the Pope and Young also has, they have a category for cactus bucks, correct? So Pope and Young recognizes velvet taken trophies. They're, they're categorized separately. They're not they're not the hard horn category. So they have mm-hmm. all the same categories as BNC plus antler game. They have velvet as well. And so since they have a velvet category, they do not disallow stag bucks or cactus bucks that Boone and Crockett does. Boone and Crockett says it has to be free of all velvet. That's just what they've always done. And so that was, again, it's not exactly the same, but yes, Pope and Young does have a velvet category, which Mm -hmm. does allow some of these bucks that could be debated whether or not their testosterone production was normal into their system. Well, this buck was highly, highly debated, not only on Rockside, (laughs) but everywhere. 
What makes that? You said you're on the panel that scored this buck. Mm-hmm. Do you remember What's what the name it, of the buck? Like, they call it a Gordon buck because his last name's Gordon. His last na- his last name's Gordon. The guy that killed it. Correct. Okay. So what did that buck score? Do you remember? And what did why I say was there a fucking new world record? Yeah, and why wasn't it in your mind not a cactus buck? <laughs> so we, I mean, we just scored what was there in velvet. Um, obviously, never got to inspect the deer. Never made a determination. It was never stripped. And so if that velvet would have been stripped, then it would have gone to VNC on whether or not it was a cactus. Since Pope and Young does not disallow cactus bucks, it was never fully investigated. So it's in Pope and Young. It was never stripped and put into Boone and Crockett. So there was never a determination officially made whether or not it was a cactus buck. Mm. To me, it has many characteristics that are common to deer that have. Do you all, like the three panel, do you have to do you have a vote on that? Um, there's three of you, right, that score it. No, so there's How a records there's a records committee for both organizations. Uh-huh. And so something like this that would have been questioned on whether or not it was a cactus buck, there's we've got a scoring manual that that outlines criteria that are commonly seen on cactus bucks. It goes to the 32 person committee for Boone and Crockett. Pope and Young's I think might be about a dozen. Um, it's a smaller committee but the same process. And then that committee takes precedent and looks at it and then they make a ruling on per what the rules are, you know, this is how it would be treated. And then the, the actual scoring um, isn't isn't done by the committee. That's just a, a determination on, gotcha. you know, what we've done in the past to try to keep it as uniform as possible. I like the way that's done. At least it keeps it clean. Yeah. Yeah. We, we ought to preface this a bit because I, I know there's listeners out there right now that are saying, well, just like I did, what the fuck is a cactus buck? <laughs> Look up so, cactus buck, Luke. Yeah. Basically, I've learned that it's a it's a buck without balls. It, it's a deer that's testosterone project, production has been interrupted in some way. Which testosterone is produced by the balls. Yep. Here you go. Uh, okay. <laughs> Good. Look up some of those images. Mm. So you just googling cactus buck here up on the screen if you guys aren't watching you can see a bunch of representations of it it just looks like Lord. it looks like antlers turned into cancer you oh. know there's just crazy fucking growth and tumors and look oh, shit that right. all over oh them. lord what is that oh it looks like a crown yeah it's worth googling guys if you've never seen just google cactus buck look at the images pretty crazy oh yeah, uh, the same thing happens. Um, it's kind of the same mechanism. You hear somebody say antler doe. Well, technically, it's a pseudo-hermaphrodite. Oh, um, so it's, it's a hermy. It's got both, both, and so that's what produces the testosterone that causes um, what appears to be a doe on, on a the female. outside to, to grow. Got it. Yeah, and they have doe-ish features. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. What I'm seeing here is that of all these images, if you shot something and it looked weird, it's probably the cactus buck because all of these you could tell Especially almost immediately something was wrong. But as velvet in November, probably a cactus. Yeah, buck. right. Yeah, we and had first, crazy shapes. Really, the first time I ever seen a whole bunch was I was on Kodiak Island hunting blacktails. Yeah, and holy moly, there's like a little pocket of where we were hunting. Really, and they all. I was in. It was in August, so there was half with velvet, so you didn't really know. Then you'd see these bucks with all these weird little tentacles, and you're like, uh-huh. "Oh, that's a." No yeah. nut. That's a no nutter. There you go. So those deer on Kodiak were all introduced, uh-huh. and there's a genetic condition that I cannot remember the name of it right now, but some areas have said up to sixty to seventy percent in certain parts of that island have this genetic condition that causes that 
it's it's in cattle too i'm drawing a blank but anyway yeah no really? th- those are it's very prevalent there because they're genetically bottlenecked and so that's why you have such a high prevalence of this genetic condition that causes cactus bucks on kodiak i mm. didn't i didn't know that but where we were i probably saw five days i probably saw two or three a day that you could probably say didn't didn't have any nuts gotcha I think we ought to jump. A lot of these questions here are. Uh, we got way <laughs> Sorry, we're good. I, I spent 15 years doing this scoring, so obviously yeah. that's. Yeah, um, I think the original. We come across these rules of fair chase, yep. and I think that's what stemmed Luke reaching out, getting you mm-hmm. here. I should ask a really important question: Do you have anything on your schedule from May 3rd to May 5th next year? This is one of those open-ended. On the spot Be questions. Your answer. I think we have a workshop somewhere around there. That's a good answer. Kind of covers you. Yeah. Just in case you don't want to do what right, I'm about to say. Right. We have something we call the Half Ass Hunting Academy here. And to have Pope and Young have a vendor booth, uh, it's just all local. I wouldn't say just local, but it's all just people in the business hunting, rifles, gotcha. uh, that kind of thing. We plan to have the fishing game here too. We're going to have 10 different classes across two days. Um, but if Pope and Young could bring out and put up a booth and talk about scoring and some yep. of the stuff that we're talking about here, it might be a, it'll be a great opportunity for a lot of foot traffic, a lot of hunters no, so uh, to build education there. Sounds awesome. And, you know, we love May talk- 4th and 5th, the yeah. weekend. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll see if we can't schedule in. We love talking about the scoring and why we do it. This is all for conservation. So that's a great opportunity for us to spread our message. It'll be, yeah. it'll be here. We got about almost, I think almost 50 vendors already signed nice. up. And this is not like a... This is not like a fairgrounds event where we don't even know who's coming. This is more like we're we're reaching out to particular companies and using the influence yep. we have now to to bring out the right people. Awesome. We have awesome classes with awesome instructors and we have uh quite a few vendors now. Quite yes. a few. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um the rules of fair chase. Yeah, just start. This, this is probably the one that gets argued about the most, and I'll just read it. Simply defined, fair chase is the ethical, sportsmanlike, and lawful pursuit of free-range wild game animals in a manner which does not give the hunter an improper or unfair advantage over the animal. That is pr- which not, that's probably yep. the most argument. Here, how, I'll say this non-Brian Dickish. It's like <laughs> how, because I see it. I'm this not just this not just right, young. Right. This is also boot. Here's how it, who is up on their high horse determining what is fair and what's not. Yeah, fair. Be, because I want to preface it this: there's a dude in Texas, or there's a dude sitting in a fucking blind. He's got an Ozonics behind him. He's got uh, he's been bathed in scent killer, has scent killer clothes, and sprayed himself with scent killer. He's got a bow that costs two thousand dollars with a slider slate that goes to one fifty. What are your what's your guys' stance on that? That seems very very unfucking fair to the animal. So again, we you know we kind of touched on this that that at the end of the day it, it's kind of the it's up to the hunter's personal decision. So what these rules are, you know, who's on their high horse? These are the very bare minimum, mm-hmm. right? This is like, dude, the animal can't get away from you. It's stuck in a fence. No, you can't call yourself fair chase. Definitely. Okay, you know, you're watching a, a trail camera and we're sitting here having this podcast and, oh, you know, old old lefties stepping in the field. I run out there and shoot them. Again, you're using that. That's that's a line. And so what these are is kind of the bare minimum of folks, you know, read these and kind of see, you know. Fair chase could be interchanged with the words common sense. In many cases, yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and it. It was started at a time of necessity 
that there was no there was no game laws. Hunters had to self regulate, and so mm-hmm. the very beginning of this, um, the first time we talk of of uh, which which is very interesting now where we've come. Theodore Roosevelt, the first time he wrote about this, said it was not lawful to take a wolf in a trap. That uh. was the line back in the day that, you know, again, obviously, you know, we've come a long ways from where we were. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of the beginning of there's certain practices you just can't do. Um, another early one was crusting. They'd find deep snow. The animals would go in. They'd break through. Then, you know, they couldn't get away. So that was another early thing that they're like, no, that's we got to give them a chance. Back to the trapping wolves at that time. Was that because of a lack of animals? You know, they they didn't feel it gave trapped animals. They didn't feel gave them a fair chance to escape. And at the same time, which is it's it's always it's always been interesting to me because Roosevelt also went to Yellowstone to hunt cougars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is you make this statement. And I'm not saying yeah, just you. Yeah. And then people do their own. You know, it's just like anything. They they take it in, and then they have their own idea on what that's supposed to be. Right. And then it's all over the map. And I'm being devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. I literally don't. If they're if if it's so. You know, if it's so far of an advantage for that person in that blind to do that, then there's probably going to be a game law to come along to, you know, to, to slow that down, you would think. But but I'll ask you this. Do you like being told what to do? Never, ever. Okay. But you can't, we can't be like, I can't be the justice police or the ethics police for you. No. You're your own ethical person. You, well, you what we've talked about line. so far is less, it's, to me, it's almost less about ethics and more about common sense. Well, that same guy saying that I am a completely unethical person for taking a thousand yard shot on an animal. But he's that guy's never shot a thousand yards nor he shoots three times a year and he's gonna tell me how I gotta do things. Yes. Yeah, I want less laws. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I am like a libertarian to the core. Less right. is better. But it's like you take these arbitrary, you know, statements and then you make everybody's gonna make their own assumption on that statement to that's that's their belief. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where it gets out of control. Well, it it does. And I've you know, I've been in this world forever and you don't wanna tell somebody, you know, how you're doing it is wrong. That's that's never the thing. Yeah. What you wanna say is you know, let's let's think this through. And and um, again, fair chase was started as a necessity to save game. Fifties, we get all of a sudden Aldo Leupold. We have wildlife management programs. We have state management. We now can be told, okay, this is this is what the harvest success is. So why does fair chase matter anymore? If the game laws say it's okay to do it, why do we care? Well, hunting exists because of the seventy-two percent of the country that well they don't hunt themselves approve of the activity Mm. and so if we have a license from these 72 percent of the population to continue with this activity we can we can keep doing what we're doing that's why we're concerned with fair chase today is that those that aren't hunters but think it's a it's a noble thing we're going to the field it's a it's a worthwhile endeavor if we lose that i don't care if every hunter's on the same page we're done Mm. And so that's, that's as we talk about fair chase today, that's what we're concerned with. It's not telling a hunter, you can't do this. It's saying, hey, man, let's look from the outside. Is this something that we want to beat over that 72% head? And, you know, another good example I have, somebody's a vegetarian and they just choose what they eat. Do you have a problem with it? No. When they start screaming at you that you're a murderer and beating you over the head with it, that's when you get offended. Mm-hmm. And so hunting's got to kind of be the same right. thing. And that's that's how those these these discussions are happening. You know, why what what's the public going to think? Is it good for the resource? Now, if something's going to hurt the resource, um trail cameras for example in Arizona was a hot topic that came up where 
it's a limited water source putting trail cameras on there were actually having a very negative effect on the big game species so the organizations came out and said no no that's not fair chase because it's hurting the species mm-hmm. as a whole so was it utah with the like cell that. cameras was yeah. that what just happened utah Fair cell cameras utah and then like the drone thing like i think a logical person to say a drone gives you an unfair advantage right yes thermals hunting big game with thermals gives you an unfair advantage yeah. right so, i mean mm-hmm. there's some there is some things that are just common sense and people still argue about that i should be able to if it's my property i should be able to run my drone out there to see if old bighorns out back mm-hmm. right and yeah. Does it does it hurt the overall population? I don't know. You know, I mean, that's some of this stuff, and and the hardest thing that we have now is some of this technology. Um, there's limited amount of area to hunt, mm-hmm. and I would argue that a lot of it's already kind of at hunter carrying capacity. We need to be a little cognizant of how big our footprint is as a hunter. Okay, that's great. I can afford 15 leases in 15 different states, and I can run trail cameras and scout every one of them. Man, that's a pretty big footprint. How many people aren't getting to hunt? Yes. Because I'm sitting in my basement in Montana with this technology at my fingertips. And this is, there's not, a, we're never going to say, oh, you can't have more than two leases. No, that's not the, but think about this. This is why we're on these podcasts. Think mm-hmm. about this fair chase aspect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a there, slippery slope in some things. So oh, there's yeah. one here. Uh, so by the use of electronic devices for attracting, locating, or pursuing game or guiding the hunter to such game, or by the use of a bow or arrow to which any electronic device is attached. So, for example, when I read this, I start to think about, let's say, a range finder that's attached to a bow. So do you guys look at a range finder as an electronic device that shouldn't be used that gives you an unfair advantage? For the future of archery hunting, a site that does a range and adjusts. So basically, there's a particular site on the market that adjusts for you. Yeah. Gar- it's made by Garmin. They, yes. uh, which is a great supporter of Pope and Young. Yeah. It's just oh, this particular. Just yeah, and yeah. That, it is. Well, let's it, just start cool. with the rangefinder. Yeah. Are handheld rangefinders acceptable for bow hunters? It's not attached to the bow. Okay. So what if the rangefinder was attached to the bow, but you still have to look through it and hit the button? You have to draw a line in the sand somewhere for your yeah. for your bottom. That would, the very, wouldn't be the, practical. <laughs> yeah, the very same could be said about you know a range finding rifle scope versus a turret and a range finder. Yes, you can one hundred percent. They're pretty much the same thing. But where is that? Where can you draw a line for for a fair chase? And yeah. so, what Pope and Young chose, and it's a while ago, is you cannot have electronics attached to the bow. Could you make a case that there's electronics you could attach to the bow that might still be fair chase? Certainly. But for the ease of a basic list, that is where Mm. they chose to draw the the line. Do you think that this Garmin site that you range with and automatically adjust for you uh, makes a bow hunter a more effective killer? Oh, I think that's why it sells. Okay, so in the opportunity where you have a bow hunter who has a handheld range finder, he's out hunting by himself. His animal's on the move. He keeps having to pull out his rangefinder, rearrange the animal, rearrange the animal. Now he injures the animal because he wasn't allowed to use the most efficient killing technology, which would have otherwise put the animal on the ground. Same animal. Now we have an injured animal versus one that's dead simply because attaching the same device to the bow, having the same overall effect, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? No, I do for okay. sure. And my, my question to you, I mean, do you put in for a lot of Western states? Yes. What What's your most your most points in a particular one. Like where are you sitting? Let's say, let's say Wyoming. For elk? Elk, antelope, and deer. Okay. So you just gave me an example where that animal could have been killed. 
or you say, well, don't, shouldn't he have used that technology? He didn't have it attached. He couldn't get a solid range. The shot wasn't taken. There's one less animal killed. There's more opportunity. You're not but I imagine in the heat of the moment, this guy who's well, ranging no, no, this no, animal no. seven times, you know, is yeah, going to yeah. end up taking a shot, but it would have been a more effective shot. You know, this but, this goes along yeah. with other weapons, mm-hmm, too. It's mm-hmm. not just a bow. Right. To me, the idea of limiting technology, like muzzleloader, like why limit technology of a muzzleloader? If you're pushing a ball and powder down the end, why does one state require open ignition and another one doesn't? Why does one allow scopes and one doesn't? Well, we hear about so many animals that are injured by improper muzzleloader shots because you're limiting... Like this, he's still going to take the fucking shot. He's still going to take that hundred yard shot with that muzzle loader that you know from nineteen hundred. But instead of injuring, we could almost guarantee the animal would die. But again, you got to remember that the season structures we put in muzzle loader seasons, we put in archery seasons because it gave more opportunity. You had a lower success rate, so the hunter could be in the field longer. What we're going to see because the technology is amazing in firearms, there's no mm. doubt. I mm. mean. Within reason, you can see it, you can kill it. I mean, that that's kind of the technology's there now type deal. And so you're going to be, you're, how, how do you reduce that harvest? You're going to have to get shorter and shorter seasons. You have to go longer and longer between. Well, basically all the tags are almost already, or you're limiting tags. Well, right. you either limit tags or you you limit success. My, my example uh, for easy numbers here, you have a herd of 100 elk. 100 people want to hunt those elk. If you have 10% success, those 100 people can hunt those elk every year. Yeah. And on average, you kill an elk once every 10 years. I guess my, my perspective is less about that and more about injured versus yeah. killed. Injured yeah. versus dead is my perspective. No, and 100%, about. 100%, you can say the technology would re- reduce injury. Yes. But I would say that it's hard to, it's hard to quantify. People make mistakes at 100 yards. People might make mistakes at 500. Does that technology give them a false sense that maybe they push the limit a little bit that they wouldn't have if they didn't have it? So does it really reduce it? Now, that that tool 100% can be more effective at killing. But are you going to take that longer shot because you now have this tool that you know is capable yeah, of it? You're basically saying the more you accept, the further they're going to try to shoot, mm-hmm. and you're going to end up with the same injury rates. I get it. Does yeah. the Pope and Young keep like percentage of... You know, death percentage like increasing over time with with the rise of technology and archery. Like, is there more each year, more animals that are getting harvested because of it, or they can they pin that on anything? <laughs> I I would say you've seen a big influx of world records killed with bow, but that's because they just basically classified um, archer or velvet taken trophies. They actually classify those as a world record now. They didn't used to have a world record velvet. But let's look at that Brewster buck. <clears throat> let's let's look at some of these giant white tails that are being killed. The Brewster buck? I'm not familiar. Luke, Brewster buck. Look it up. Brewster buck. Oh, I might not know it. Yeah. Is it? Is that what it's called? The, Bre- the Brewster was another one of the... Yeah, that's it. Oh. <laughs> Good grief. Oh, click on that image, Luke. Luke Brewster. That's a dumb first name, but... <laughs> poor fella wow so so again i mean it gets even bigger 327 and 7 8 inches that's ridiculous (laughs) but that's a somewhat recent kill is that technology is that more game on the it's really hard to separate out 
are we becoming more effective in killing these bigger deer because we have better technology? That wasn't a high fence deer. Yeah. How, no. And how are you fighting that? Like, how do you fight in the high fence thing where they're farm deer that get kicked out into? So genetically, those deer are raised for one purpose, and that's to grow antlers. It's mm-hmm. not to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, deer get out. They go to somebody's house and lay on their back porch and eat the feed that they put out. Like it, They're a cow. Yeah. They, they're not bred for survival. And so it's way less of an issue than some people think of an escapee becoming a breeder. They get, even if they have 350 inches antler on their head, they're still going to get beat up by a native deer that's, you know, four and a half year old that Mm. has grown up surviving cars and coyotes and whatever it may be. So it's, you know, we keep an eye on it. Yes, they're genetically, a lot of those are pedigreed. I mean, Mm -hmm. If you really had a question, you could probably get to the bottom of it, but they right. just don't. It's known. As soon as one dies, you know, and somebody sends in a picture, you've got 15 emails with a deer behind a fence with an ear tag. Uh, hunters are real ready to throw each other under the bus. I can tell you that. In <laughs> a heartbeat. <laughs> what state was that in? Do you remember? Oh, uh, Iowa, I believe. Wow. The, uh, that's a totally different side note. When I was shooting a bow a lot. Do you guys still have that like asterisk for above 65% let off? They did away with that. They totally got rid yeah. of it. Yep. That's no longer a stipulation. So it's full rain. Like, yeah. Yeah. For every, like your bow, has percentage of let off when you get to that back end for forever. When I was back in 90, late nineties, early 2000, they had an asterisk. If it was above that 65% and Idaho is one of the latest, the latest adopters of Legal, you could shoot legally over that 65% let off because hmm. I mean, you can hold forever and it's 80 85% let off. Or I don't even know what bows are today. What are they? Yeah, they're that yet you, you would have to go out of your way to find a bow that would meet those restrictions being produced today, really. Yeah, and Idaho is one of the last to let lighted knocks in and last to let. I don't even know if they have, I think they went to expandable now, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the still light, open ignition, open ignition, dude. That's it, talking about crippling. Like, I put our muzzle loader right up there with stick bows and the amount of crippled animals with the whole lead bullet and open ignition mm-hmm. get those hang fires you just send them into herds <laughs> yeah you know and, and i mean as, as hunters we need to you know you're not wrong about any of that there is wounding that comes down to choosing an ethical shot and that you know if we if we talk about long range rifles we talk about any of this the end of the day it comes down to making sure you know what that shot is and that you're going to make a kill it's not a distance. It's not a weapon. It's it's none of that. It's it's one hundred percent certainty that that shot. Hundred percent. You're confident now. Obviously, things can happen. You're mm-hmm. not going to say you're never going to miss, but it's it's getting those odds as high as you can that that shot is one hundred percent ethical. And yeah. you know that that like I said that that's muzzle loaders. That's archery. That's that's center yeah. fire. That you name it. You yeah. Know. There's no hundred percent shot. Right. Ryan just witnessed. Uh, raining fire so he was he was walking into our montana elk hunt oh, and there Lord. happened to be was some was it a bull or was some cows it was a herd of mixed just a herd of mixed you tell a story so i was got to a spot i was like i was gonna be late to where i actually wanted to be so me and buzz were running down the trail trying to get to this high point in this big prairie below us and uh, we set up there about 10 minutes before daylight and i'm sitting there and it's getting lighter and lighter i start seeing some you know yellow I was like, oh, it must be some elk. I see, heard about six or seven elk, couple bulls. I'm watching, I'm watching, nothing I wanted to shoot. And uh, I look, and down below, there's just five people coming down on horses about a thousand yards below me. I'm like, oh, they're going to see those elk. And about the same time, 
I look to my left and there's <laughs> two people, two or three people coming on horses. The same trail I came on there below me about a hundred yards. And I witnessed, I think 14 shots and they were just, I didn't hear one hit. They were just spraying and praying. And I'm watching this particular guy. I couldn't really tell the lower people how they were set up, but this guy, I range from where I was at. So minus a hundred, he was shooting 600 yards offhand. And With I no dial. No, I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> Nothing. He, he I hate to use, you know, class for people. I don't know, but the classic FUD, you know, looking orange hat, orange, you know, and he's just spraying and praying. Pow, pow. Did not hear one hit down below. 14 shots total. I'd looked at both. So we better get the hell out of here or we're going to get shot. <laughs> and I, that happens way too often in the elk woods, especially, especially when people have this notion, and it doesn't matter which, you know, discipline, your bow, rifle, whatever, that they're better than they are. Right. And they offhand 600 yards. I mean, go do that on, you could put up a four by eight sheet of plywood and you would miss half of them. I would right. bet with a, with, at 600 yards, just shoot them. Yeah. But yeah. And I witnessed that. And anyways, we can go into a lot of stories I have about people just spraying and praying, but I don't know what your point was to that whole deal, but that happens way too often. Well, it goes along with the fair game, fair chase, you know, and, and more about knowing a hundred percent that you're going to hit. There wasn't one of those 14 shots that any motherfucker nope. out there thought he was going to hit a hundred percent. Right. And that's where you draw the line. Yep. So it's a, it's a good way to explain it. So like I said, being a beginner, inexperienced type of hunter, and then all of our listeners out there, Ryan hates rules. I don't like rules either. So when you first approach this from a layman's perspective, it's like there's this business, you know, there's this company out there. I mean, right. you are a company basically, right? right? Right. There's a company out there who's trying to make up their own rules about how we should and shouldn't hunt. But that's why I insisted that it's more about common sense because it's without putting the terms fair chase on it, it's the common sense about if I take this shot right now, what are the odds that I'm going to hit the animal and kill him, you know, versus, in, you know, that's really what it is. So it's fucking common sense. It is. And you break that shot. Like I said, there's no 100% shots, but. And my thing is, if I don't, wouldn't be absolutely disgusted that I missed with myself, I don't take the shot. Like, no. it should be, you should, <clears throat> I shot an elk 700 yards this year in Wyoming. And I tell him this, there was like no blood, there was, I knew, I knew with what I've done before over the last year, it was over for the dude. I just had to pick the right spot and shot. And uh, I think that's everybody. I mean, I know you should get excited. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I, like I was telling him, I was pumped. But I, I bet you my blood pressure wasn't over 80, 85 yeah. because I had practiced that shot so many times out to 14, 15 yards that I knew it was over. He just didn't know it yet. And I think that that's, you should 1,000% know that animal's going to die when you release that arrow, muzzle, you know, bolt, mm. bullet, whatever. I mean, when you're on your game and you take the shot and you look and, like, you're surprised, like, they usually just fall over. That, mm -hmm. that, that, that's that that got to be your mindset when you pull the trigger. Not, oh, did it work? It's, it's yep, now i got to get the Is knives. he down? <laughs> Is he down? Yeah. And I always, it drives me insane that archers need to quit doing this or they need to shut their mouths because I talked to so many archers. Yeah, I, sh I put an arrow into one. I didn't find it. And yeah. Like. We hear that. Well, that fucker probably died. A lot. Yeah. And the, the rifle hunters aren't so like boaster. Oh, I hit an ammo. I right. didn't find it. Those archers say that constantly. And they, I think that gives them a kind of paints them a bad picture sometimes in other people. No, I was actually talking mm. about this on a, on another podcast is that question of you have a tag, you hit an animal, recover the arrow. You think it's going to survive. I'd argue it, there's nothing in the fair chase rules that says you can't shoot another one. It's legal, mm -hmm. but that's that fair chase debate that we're talking about that. We mm. want that hunter to think 
I had my chance. I, I missed it. Do I do I shoot another one? I mean, legally, I can do that. Mm-hmm. That's the fair chase question that we want to get folks thinking about, mm-hmm. so that they're, they, you know the general hunting public. You're telling this story. Somebody's over, you know, overhears you talking about. It, you're like, yeah, man, I he was fine. I found the arrow. I saw him doing this. I saw that. I know it was everything was good, but that was my chance. That elevates us as hunters, and that's what fair chase is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because rarely do I hear that same. I'm not knocking on bow hunters. Right. Rarely do I hear him say, oh, yeah, I put my bow away and I was done. No. I can take a story from myself. I shot an animal, and this is really the only – I didn't – long-range animal that I lost. I actually found him. Jim found him. But I hit him three times. I knew I killed him. I looked for a day and a half, had to leave. I sent my, – my buddy Jim was close. I said, hey, can you go – this was six days later. I punched my tag the day I left. Like I was hunting no more. Nice. I said, can you go look in Jim's a bloodhound and he's a hiking machine. And he, this animal was hit three times, went 800 yards uphill. Yeah. And what messed me up was when I was looking at all the elk going downhill, there must've been one that was nicked up or a cow was leaking blood. And I thought they, he went downhill. So I f- focused there. I went uphill to about 400 yards. Anyways, he found the animal six days later. I got the horns. I punched the tag. I lost all the meat. But I thought about that all fucking year long. Right. And that's how hunters should think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Again, doesn't matter the discipline. That's that's how. You know. And again, we talked a little bit about the the opportunities and the, how many years we're waiting for, for a tag. You finally get that tag and kill two. That's you know that mm-hmm. that's doubling the amount of time everybody else has to wait if everybody's doing that. Yes, mm. I got a lot of points in Utah that I need a lot of people to draw or die. <laughs> a lot. Pope and Young, like, let's talk more about as far as how do you join? How do you get something measured? How do you, uh, how does that all happen? So the website, um, pope-young.org, um, you know, we've got an Instagram, Pope and Young Club, uh, or social media, we've got that going. But, you know, the biggest thing is we have a quarterly magazine and, uh, you know, join is a, is a yearly member, you know, $45, you get our, you get our magazine, you kind of hear about what we got going on. Um, you know, there's, there's things coming down the pipe that, um, we need a unified voice for bow hunters. And that's where Pope and Young really wants to excel. We want to be the voice of the American bow hunter, not, not just the stick bow guys, not just the, the wheel bow guys, you know, um, you know, there's, there's some, some Pittman Robertson funding issues with importation that's not getting paid. That's something that, that Pope and Young is really looking at. Can we make a difference? Can we get this $10 million that PR funds are not getting? What can you kind of elaborate on that? So Pittman Robertson is a hunter self-imposed fee that we pay on hunting gear. Mm -hmm. If a manufacturer imports and says, says sells through Amazon, there's no person to collect those PR tax funds and so that's leaving a hole in our, our wildlife conservation funding. Most folks don't understand that Pittman Robertson is the lion's share of um, you know conservation funding. You guys as you know firearm manufacturers obviously know there's a tax you have to pay. That's PR funds. That's what that's what carries a lot of our wildlife work that we've done. And so the fact that some stuff's getting sold and not being paid from the archery world for components. You know, that's the type of thing. So that's where PNY is working. You know, those those things that for archers across the country, you know, um, you, you hear some discussion on, uh, you know, crossbow versus versus vertical bows coming out of the organization. There is times and places where we can't kill enough deer. That's not when you limit it. But again, we talked a little bit about opportunity. You know, if I'm waiting 25 years for an archery elk tag, should we allow a weapon that makes that success even higher and makes that wait longer? 
then we get into talking about lock, lack of opportunity. My eight-year-old son, if he has to wait till he's 40 to hunt an elk with a bow, he's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's the discussions that Pope and Young wants to lead. Where Where is this appropriate? Where do we need to look at maybe reducing our success a little bit to allow opportunity? That's that's my thing. I'd, I'd rather hunt for 10 years and kill one elk than hunt for one year and kill one elk and sit out for nine. And that's always going to be the angle I fight from is give me the opportunity to go hunt, mm. you know. It, is that really the largest source of funds? It's not It's not tag fees and license fees per state I mean, that at, does at the most the, for conservation? At the, at the state <clears throat> level, yeah. Okay. You and, and each state's a little bit different. Um, Montana is pretty much purely license revenue. Um, other states do have a component. There's a sales tax in Missouri, for example. But if you look at single source conservation funding, Pittman Robertson and firearm sales, yep, yep. Mm. One of the one of the people on Rockside asked, told me we were talking to you guys. Are you guys doing anything outside the United States to expand bow hunting, like UK or any of that? You know, we are North American centric. Mm-hmm. Um, if if the opportunity came up to do something internationally, you know, we'd be interested. But we don't we don't have the size or the membership to really go on an international scale. Um, you know, similar to Boone and Crockett, you know, we, we, we try to specialize in North American native free ranging game, mm-hmm. which keeps us plenty busy. You know, we don't want to spread ourselves too thin. So I shoot an animal. I'm not a Pope and young guy. How do I get that scored? So if you go on the website, you can find an official measure. These guys are all volunteers. You have to wait 60 days. Um, standardized deal. You get a hold of one of them. They will score it for you and kind of walk you through the entry process. Um, we, we take other data such as, you know, number of arrows, um, shot distance, the different types of equipment you're using just to get at these questions. Are we seeing an influx in this? I mean, shooting this particular technology, are we seeing an increase or decrease in numbers arrows shot at an animal? So there's, there's secondary information that's part of your entry. That's very important in the whole scheme of things. Like, yeah, the score is cool. That's what everybody wants to brag to their buddy about. But that whole snapshot, the photo, the additional information, that's all very important. So that official major will get that. They submit it. It's reviewed. Um, both organizations have a director of records to ensure that everybody's playing by the same rules. One person looks at every record for both organizations to make sure that they're all being done the same hmm. as a standardization. And then you get a certificate. Who, who's that person? For well, for Boone and Crockett, it was it was me for a while, and when I went to Pope and Young, Tim Razuski is the Pope and Young director of records, and Kyle Lair is out of Missoula. He's the director of records for Boone and Crockett Club. Okay. So at the end of the day, those two are responsible, and they work very closely together. That every single animal's treated the exact same with the same rules, the same everything. Hmm. So I have a Pope and Young records book from a while back. Is that do you guys still do that? Is it all digital now? How does that work for you guys? No, we still we just came out with a book oh, a year ago that is available on the website. Um, it's you know there's Pope and Young has over a hundred thousand entries, so it's it's a pretty impressive uh, publication now. But I noticed you guys sell quite a bit of measuring tools in your website too. Yeah. Let's say uh, a guy wants to do his own measurement of his animal, maybe before he sends it in, just to make sure he's not. He's not barking up the wrong tree, for example, right? Like, oh, that's a hundred, you know, whatever. It's eighty. It's, it's an eighty. Um, I see right here. He's got up on the on the TV screen. But you guys have all yeah. your measuring tools, and I'm yeah. sure there's a book or something that teaches you how yeah. to measure. So there is a scoring manual. You can also, and you know, Boone and Crockett has an online scoring database. And remember, these are the same the same systems. And so if you go onto Boone and Crockett's website, it'll pop up a a score chart that you can use and. 
like I said, there is a scoring manual. It's the same manual that's used by both organizations. Um, we just came out with that a few years back again, to make sure everything was the same. I was one of the editors on that. Mm -hmm. And so that they're very similar. And when it comes to, you know, methodology, it's just, again, what, what weapon was used and Boone and Crockett will take archery taken animals. It just has to exceed the Boone and Crockett minimum. Whereas Pope and Young is, you know, vertical hand-drawn bows only. Okay. You ever measure one and find out later that it was poached? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we could. <laughs> it's, it's not common, but at the same time, I'd always give a, a, a slideshow when I was teaching the scoring workshops where I'd say, hey, for Boone and Crockett, it was about 65,000 entries that we'd got. I had a slideshow of eight or nine turds. No shit. That were that were the worst of the worst, and I'd tell everybody, "Yes, this is bad. These are funny. You're going to get a kick out of them. How we caught them, you know, whatever." But remember, this is you know the very very minimum. Ninety nine point nine percent of hunters are honest. They're out there doing the same thing we all are. They're not trying to cheat the system. They're good people, you know. And you can't you can't go around in life thinking that everybody's out to cheat you. You got to be cautious. <laughs> and if you you get credible information you follow up on it but most everybody's not doing anything to cheat the system mm -hmm. they got to be ballsy to do that mm -hmm. I, one of jake's questions i always i just saw it and i, I always think about that in in your not pope and young's mind your mind harvest or kill <sighs> we've already heard the word harvest you have even said the word harvest during this podcast oh, i have i have said i say harvest like interchangeably there's a lot of guys yeah. that don't like the word harvest because it it reminds them of uh, vegetables and fruits and Pumpkins. shit like that. And, and they're, and they're trying to, you know, pull the wool over the fact that you're killing an animal. No, the I, word I, harvest is kind of, I, I see, I see both, but also my backgrounds in wildlife management. Mm -hmm. My dad was a forester. It was timber management. So you harvest timber, you harvest a game animal. I've always looked at it as a very scientific, um, input output type situation. So I do use harvest, but I can definitely see, you know, no, we're not trying. I mean, yeah, you're killing something. I mean, that that's no. a fact, and you're you're going to utilize it. That's fine. But to me, I, I it's never set wrong with me, and I, I use them interchangeably. And, mm -hmm. and some people prefer harvest, some prefer kill, and I, I see both sides. Mm -hmm. I guess it's renewable. Yeah, yeah. I don't really think about it that yeah, much. I actually looked up the definition, and har the definition of harvest does include several lines about. Animals. What Doesn't is the definition? Just say, is it renewable? Like renewable? Or? I don't remember reading the word renewable, but throw gotcha. up the definition. Uh, <laughs> definition of harvest. But yeah, I specifically did it to see that that the animal or game was referenced, and, and it was. I've heard it both ways. Like I, I will generally say kill, but on the harvest, some people get stuck on these words, and I don't really care either way. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not going to grow another deer, but I guess that if that dude had a baby somewhere along the way, he, he. I would just say that today the word harvest seems to cover up an action, which is, you know, murdering an animal, killing an animal. Yeah. You're trying to put a fuzzy blanket over it Yeah, is kind of what it seems like. Although, obviously, it is the meaning of the word. and The process or period of gathering in crops. Well, that's a shitty definition. Look up a better one. <laughs> we just got to hit, hit see more. Yeah, see more right there. Yeah. No, right there, see more, yeah. You'll find in there that there'll be reference to uh, catch or kill animals for human consumption or use right there. A limited harvest of wild mink. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's definitely used properly. Yeah. As far as Webster is concerned. It don't bother me either way. <laughs> it's funny what people will get stuck on. 
Anything else we wanted to ask, Jake? Maybe I just asked you, is there anything that you wanted to leave with listeners uh, today? Maybe something we haven't talked about yet. Um, no, I mean, just just beyond, you know, conservation is, a, is an ongoing battle. And our, our, our objectives have changed. I mean, we went from no wildlife on the landscape to an overabundance, but... You know, support your local organization. You know, every one of them. S- join, join Boone and Crockett. Join SCI. Join all these organizations that you can, because you know, the North American model and what we have is very unique to us. There's nowhere else that you can go out and kill your dinner on public land. You know, remember that. And wherever, I mean, wherever you, wherever you can spend your time, your treasure, your talents. You know, make sure this goes on forever. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's what what these you know we we can argue about fair chase and good. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what all these organizations are fighting for, is so that our kids and their kids and everybody can go out and enjoy these magnificent things that we have. Never lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's what that's why we're here and what we do and support as many of us as you can. Okay. And nobody at Pope and Young, I assume, is getting rich from Pope and Young. No. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Luke keeps shaking this question. Yeah, we've already answered that, Luke, if you've been paying attention. It's a vertical bow is what a bow is, not a crossbow. Vertical bow. The definition from Pope and Young, do you guys take crossbows where it's legal? We do not include them in our records. There is Good a, man. Good man. There is a crossbow-specific records-keeping organization called Bolt and Quarrel. I thought it would be called Weak-Ass Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, there, there are people out there that can't draw a bow for medical reasons that have a crossbow. Uh, I, I guess, but are they? Is it just like all these hover rounds I see with these fat asses? Or are they just fucking the system? Fat or what? doesn't let you not pull a bow. I, uh, I'm oh, talking yeah. about legit oh, fucking. I can't get it past my belly. <laughs> I, I killed a deer in college with a crossbow because I had a separated shoulder. See, that's there you legit. Go. But and so I, for one year, I had a crossbow permit. So I, I feel like I can talk. That they are a bit easier than a vertical bow to shoot. Oh, shit. You can, you can hit one inches at 200 yards with a crossbow bolt. Yeah. So if, don't feed the bears because they get used to it. Well, if you uh, give the guy a little advantage, it's like, oh, my shoulder's kind of fucked it, up. That is a real point, though. Right? Like, <laughs> if there was a legitimate disabled person shooting a crossbow, you still don't accept it. Legitimate disability, provable. For, for Pope and Young, yep. the point of the records is to look at the successful harvest with a vertical bow. Okay. Boone and Crockett would 100% allow that. If you if you violate fair chase for a legitimate disability reason that's uh, verifiable, they will put that in the records, even if okay. it violates fair chase for that reason. But Pope and Young's records are looking at just the vertical bow. So we're not we're not saying that don't do it, but we're just saying for our particular records book, that's mm-hmm. why we do stick to that definition. This is getting on the your go back in time to your mm-hmm. Boone and Crockett. Do they have a caliber restriction? Do they have a rifle size restriction on anything? It would come down to the state's rules. State's rules, okay. I mean, you, you can you can enter if a if a spear is legal, if a blowgun's legal, any of that. It's a state level deal. If the At state, battle. yeah, if the state allows it, you know, B and C would accept. I know it. what that is because I just saw it on a movie. <laughs> Did you? It was actually a hunter kind of. I think hunter <laughs> is in the word of the movie, but Ad Laddle's the. You throw it. You just you have that little. It's a long holder with an arrow, big you, ass arrow. Give you some leverage. Yeah, they can. Yeah. You can hum those things. Yes, sir. My, my wife really wants to shoot it or kill a deer with an atlatl. Not sure why. That's just, there's nothing. That's I respect her thing. That She's too. just like, I want to shoot. I want to get one with an atlatl. Yeah, I, I've never used one, but man, they can wing them. 
Hell yeah. I'm terrified of my wife, just in case you guys were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I'm woodland my atlatl. I'm about to poke you with my atlatl. <laughs> <laughs> there's guys, too, that are, you know, spear hunting. Yep. You know, there's a lot yep. of guys that are pretty hardcore into that. Yeah. So. Yeah. One made a kite to controversy out of it. Yeah. All right. Anything else we forgot? Anything else you want to talk about? I think we're good, unless you guys have more for me. No, we went hour 12, and usually everybody starts petering out about out the hour, especially him. That's a good amount. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. This was great. Thank you for yes, coming yeah, thank on. Thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate you driving out. And yep. uh, and 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 I'll prematurely thank you for coming out to our half-ass hunting wow, academy we'll event. We'll do the best we can. We'll do the best we can. Somebody could come out here. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Luke, we don't have no rings. Oh, they failed us again. Yeah, they did. We give away rings if you're a subscriber mm. on our YouTube channel. So that brings that up. Oh, he's bringing it up quick. Please go subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Instagram. If you have a question for me or Jake, go to podcast at shoottohunt.com. And if Half-Ass Hunting Academy is filling up. There are limited spots to the classes. Lots of guys are buying the full package, 10 classes. Yep. Uh, you can always come to the event. There'll be a variety of vendors, including Pope and Young. Yep. Justin <laughs> said he'll be here. I heard and, him. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have, you know, a, like I said, a variety of real vendors that are in the business, whether it be hunting. Guys like Stone Glacier, and Mountain Ops, and we got stocky stocks coming from Florida, just all kinds of different awesome companies, Genesis. And uh, so come out, there'll be competitions, all kinds of good stuff. Okay. Lots of good classes. We have a winner for our ring, so you can get a set of Jake's. I always forget the UM name. Premier Rings Premier or UM Tika Rings. And the Tika Rings. Premier Rings or Tika Rings, any size, whatever Is that you want. Troy or? Trey. Trey. Trey or. Trey or get in hold of us, marketing at shoottohunt.com to claim. Your scope rings. Rockstock, well, it may already be pre-sale open by the time this gets released, but... Yes, it will be. Today is December 14th. Fuck, December 14th already. Thursday, December 14th is when we're recording this. Uh, Rockstock will go up for pre-sale very quickly. And uh, if you haven't saw, if you haven't seen a Rockstock, jump on the website, check it out. It is uh, it's a different animal, and... It will make you shoot better. And if you don't know what you're talking about, you probably shouldn't comment. <laughs> Shit. We had a we had a pretty good conversation about things that are kind of radically different and how yeah. I basically mentioned, so we put a silhouette of the rock stuff on, uh, rock stock up on Instagram, and some guys' comments were immediately, you know, no thank you or hard pass. And just these simple things were instead of looking at it with open eyes thinking, well, fuck, that's radically different. I wonder if that actually shoots better. I wonder if... Unlike a, a, a massive stock manufacturer of today that may have to explain why all of their other stocks don't have this situation that makes you shoot really well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're only making one stock so far. Yes. And change is hard. Change is difficult. And uh, believe me, it will make you shoot better for a number of reasons. I mean, I had you sold almost in five minutes yep. of conversation. So there'll be videos yes. and good stuff coming out. And don't discount it just because it looks different. Yeah. And, and for everybody else, it's not for everybody. It's built for a seven to 10 pound rifle. In a hunting situation. Majority prone shooting. Prone shooting, yeah, definitely prone shooting. If you only shoot off shoulder. Yeah, if you're, but who only shoots off hand? Exactly. Like shotguns. You want to lay down if you can. Yeah, shooting off your back. And it, and it's perfectly 1,000% fine. Well, it's actually a point that Justin brought up is that this was, this was brought into the shotgun market long ago. And he had one with a negative comb and just made him fucking shoot shotgun better. Well, it's no different. The way you shoot a shotgun is almost like how you are prone with a rifle. Mm-hmm. It's position on your shoulder because you're shooting up into the sky, right? Mm-hmm. So the same reason that a negative 
comb above bore center line would work on a shotgun. It will work when you're laying down on the rifle. And there's no really downside from shooting kneeling or in the prone or standing. Or no. there, it's not going to hurt you. It's going to shoot the same in a standing position, but it will make you a better shooter in many other positions. Especially, you know, in your most supported position, which is prone off a backpack or bipod. Yeah. yeah. What it's designed to do. Anyways, check out the Rockstock. R-O-K-S-T-O-K. Thanks for listening.